Before we look at God's word, let us turn to him once more. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true and faithful teaching of yourself and teaching of us, that what it says impacts upon us even today, so long after it was first written. We pray that we may be able to understand what you have to say to us. We pray that you may be with me and that what I say may be true and faithful to your word and not my own words but your words. And we pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, I have a bit of a a secret about me that uh, not a lot of people know, but it's one of those things that I sort of keep to myself, particularly from from men at times. I guess I'm, I'm proclaiming it now to the world. I quite like those those movies that people would call chick flicks. I like love stories. I, I have Notting Hill is one of those uh, movies that I think is number one. I used to have my number two film was Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, but I don't watch uh, horror movies much anymore. My wife has uh, brought uh, me to light on that, that I probably shouldn't be watching such things. So Notting Hill is still up there as number one, and I quite enjoy those movies, and I quite enjoy love songs as well. We actually play love songs around the house. We tune into uh, streaming radio off the internet, and so we play those. The reason I can bear those to some extent is because I I quite like uh, love songs that are put to a a heavy dance beat. I listen to dance music, techno, and the genre that I listen to is called happy hardcore. And it's actually, it's happy hardcore because it's it's happy, it's got sort of love songs, and then it's got a hardcore doof, doof, doof beat, and they speed up the love song. So when, so when we play them around the house, Gil hears the love song and then I hear in the back of my mind this doof, doof, doof that isn't there coming out of the speakers but I know the song so well from hearing the doof with it and so I quite like those. But I do like hearing love stories. I read Pride and Prejudice at high school and I still do enjoy that story. I enjoyed the new uh, remake of it. I don't sit through the BBC edition as much as Jill does. Uh, Jill likes to watch that four-hour epic but uh, I quite enjoyed the, the new one that came out and I do like love stories. And I think that's why I, I, uh, I think we all like love stories and there is in the Bible one of the greatest love stories of all time. It is the greatest love story. And it's all given to us in one of those verses that we just had read, John 3.16. It is a very famous verse. It is one of those verses that most Christians will be able to recite. They have memorised it at some point. And Martin Luther uh, says that it's, it's the Bible in miniature, that the whole of the Bible can be compressed into that one verse. The whole thrust of where the Bible is going is there in that one verse. And it's all about love. It's all about God's love. What does the verse say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In that one verse we learn a number of things about this love story. Firstly, we learn about the author of the love. Who is the author of this love? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. It is God the Father where this love originates from. We as Christians often talk about Christ's love and we talk about his love on the cross to us but we should remember that it is not a vengeful, some uh, angry father that he is trying to appease, that God was involved, 
that God the Father was involved and he sent his Son into the world. He is the origin of the love. It's for God so loved the world that he sent his Son. His Son went willingly and his Son does love us as well. But God the Father paid a price there as well. And who is the object of his love? We've seen who the author of the love is. Who's the object in verse 16? For God so loved the world. He loved the world. He loved all of, all of uh, the nations of the earth. He loved them all. That's the object of the love. And what is the degree of the love? What is the degree of the love? It says there in verse 16, For God so loved the world. That little word so is there. And it shows that it's not just any love. He's so loving. It tries to bring out that it is a great love there. He so loved the world. And how did he show the love? How did he exhibit the love? What's the exhibition of the love? It's by sending his one and only son. He sent his son into the world to die. I haven't got any children yet, so I, don't, I can't fathom this as much as some of you will be able to. If you've got children, to imagine giving up one of your children for rebellious sinners, people who hate you, to give up one of your children and here we see it's the one and only son in the verse. One and only. God had one son and he gave him up for rebellious sinners. At the cross we see Christ's love as he's being broken for mankind but we've got to think of the Father as well at the cross and what it meant for him to see his one and only son being crucified for sinful humans, it would have hurt to see that one and only son being given up for sinful humans. That's the exhibition of his love there. And then we see the result of the love. What is the result of the love? That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What is the end result of this love of God? That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then down in verse 18 it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. It means there is no condemnation for your sin. You get eternal life because you are not condemned. The payment for your sin has been made. And so you are no longer condemned and you are no longer need of eternal punishment in hell. You have eternal life with Jesus and God in heaven for an eternity. Such a marvellous love story. It's a wonderful love story. It's the greatest love story of all time. The question is, why don't people want to take this love story for their own? Why don't people want to believe in Jesus and this love story? Because the love story incorporates all those who believe, whoever believes. But we so often see that people don't want to take this love story for their own. And although I know that most men don't appreciate chick flicks and love songs, they do like love stories. Many of them get married and so they at least love one love story and that's their own. We do like love stories. Why don't people believe in Jesus Christ and take this love story for their own. And that's what I want to deal with this morning. We have it set up there that there's this great love story. The question is, and John answers these questions, why don't people believe? What is the reason that people don't believe and want to take this love story for their own? 
And so this morning I'm going to look at two possible reasons that then John dismisses and then I'm going to look at the real reason that John puts forward. Why don't people believe and take this love story for their own? The first possible reason is that do people not believe because God restricts himself to one nation? Can people say that God restricts his love to only a certain people group? And that's why I don't believe. I'm not of the blessed nation, the one that has God's love shown to it. Is that the reason that people don't believe? Well, the answer is quite clearly no. God so loved the world. The word world there in John 3.16 means every nation. Now, some people then take that as a proof text that God loves every person in every nation. So they take the world there to mean universal. So every single person God loves. And they use this as a proof text for what we call universal atonement or unlimited atonement, which means that Christ's death on the cross was for every single person who's ever lived. He was paying for their sins there at the cross. He was atoning for their sins. His sacrifice was for everyone's sins. Is this true? Is this what the verse is saying? God so loved the entire world that he sent his son to die for every single person who's ever lived. Well, I don't agree with that. I believe in limited atonement, where it is limited to those people who believe in Jesus Christ. The first reason is a bit of a logical reason, is that if Jesus and, and affirms the righteousness of God, that if Jesus paid for every single person's sin on the cross, why are people still being sent to hell? If their sins have been completely paid for, why should they ever be punished in hell for it? God then wouldn't be a just God. He wouldn't be a righteous God. He's punishing people that his son has already paid for their sins. And so if we want to affirm the righteousness of God and the justness of God, we cannot say that he is sending innocent people off to hell whose sins have been paid for at the cross. That's the first reason I don't believe in limited atonement. The other reason is that we've got to look at this text and yes, it does say the word world there. Why doesn't it mean every single person on the planet? If we say world, we mean the whole world, don't we? Why doesn't it mean the world as every single person? Well, it's important to remember that words are used in different meanings at different times. And this word world does occur quite a lot in the Bible, as you would expect it would. And at certain times it doesn't mean every single person on the planet. And it's always good if you're looking at a word to understand its meaning, if you look at how that author uses it elsewhere. And so we can look at some examples of John using the word world elsewhere. John 6 verse 33. John 6, verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. But we know that God doesn't give life to the entire world, to every man, that there are some people who are still being sent to hell, that people are still dead in their transgressions and their sins. So he can't mean every single person. God doesn't give life to all of the people through the bread of God. And then just over into chapter 7, another example, verse 4, John 7 verse 4, Jesus' brothers are saying to Jesus, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. 
Did Jesus' brothers think that Jesus was going to show himself to every single person on the planet when they commanded him to do this? No, they would have expected him to show himself to the, the known world at that time, to the people that were gathered in Jerusalem, to go up to Jerusalem. That's, why, that's what they're encouraging him to do and they want him to show himself to all the people. It doesn't mean every single person on the planet. And so we have to be careful about stretching words to mean things that they don't mean. And that's the case with John 3.16. People will use this as a proof text that God loves every single person on the planet and that he sent his son to die for every single person on the planet. And that is false. God sent his son to die for those people who trust in him. He pays for the sins of those who believe. And so this word world here means every nation. We can take it as that, uh, as that meaning, that God loves people from every nation. And why does he include this here? Because it's quite a profound thought. We don't think it's that big a deal because there are so many of us who aren't Jews and yet we call ourselves Christians and we say that we belong to the Jewish God, the one of the Old Testament. But for this time, Jesus is here speaking to the Jew Nicodemus. It would have been quite a revelation that God loved people from every nation. Previously it had been thought he only loves us, the Jews, the chosen people. But here we see Jesus saying God loves people from every nation. It's an incredible thought to, to Nicodemus and to the Jews of the time who would have thought that Jesus, the Messiah, Christ, was coming into the world purely to save the Jews. But here we hear that God loves the world. He loves people from every nation. And so therefore we don't have an argument here to say that God only loves a particular people and the reason people don't believe in him and take this love story for their own is that they aren't in the chosen people. They aren't in the love, uh, the, the love of God, that they're of the wrong nationality that this religion of Christianity is only for a certain country, only for a certain nation, only for a certain people group. No. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world. He loves people from every nation. There is no excuse for not believing because I'm not of the right people group. I'm not of the right nation. God loves people from every nation. The second possible reason that people might want to give for why they aren't believing, why don't they believe and take this love story for their own, is it because God wishes to condemn them. God is someone who doesn't let them believe. He wants to condemn people. Is that the reason that people don't believe? God is this vengeful God who's always angry and he just wants to condemn mankind and so he doesn't let them believe and he doesn't want them to believe. What does it say in verse 17? Is this true? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. The reason Jesus came into the world was not to condemn the world it was to save the world. He came to save men. He didn't come into the world to condemn them. Now you might say, hang on a minute, doesn't this clash with Jesus coming as a judge? And doesn't he say elsewhere about coming into the world to judge the world? Well, you'd be right, John 9.39. John 9.39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. 
Jesus comes into the world to judge the world. For judgment I have come into the world. But back here in John 3.17 it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Is this a contradiction? Is this a contradiction in the text? Well, no. The, con- uh, the thing is that Jesus doesn't come as a judge to condemn the world, but he comes into the world to save the world and people actually condemn themselves. It's not like God comes along and wants to condemn people. People condemn themselves. There's a famous story of a man going along to see the Mona Lisa in the art gallery and he goes along, he looks at the painting. As he walks out, he says to the guard, he says, oh, well, that was a bit of rubbish. And the guard says to the man, dear sir, the Mona Lisa isn't on trial. You are. The man is condemning himself as someone who knows absolutely nothing about art. The masterpiece is well established that it is a masterpiece. It doesn't need some person to come along and say, yes, this is wonderful. When he says it's a piece of rubbish, he's just condemning himself. And it's like when the judge says to someone, you're off to jail for what you've done. He's not pronouncing the judgment of condemnation so much on the person. He's not judging an innocent person. The person has already condemned themselves by the crime that they have committed. They put themselves in that boat. And so when the judge condemns them off to jail, it's because he's just affirming what they've already done, that they've already condemned themselves by committing the crime. And so it is with Jesus Christ. He came in the world, into the world not to condemn the world to, but, but to save the world. He could have come into the world initially to just pronounce judgement on everyone and say you're all condemned but his intention when he first came into the world was to save the world, not to condemn the world. And when people reject his offer of salvation they condemn themselves. Jesus' salvation plan is like the positive side of the coin And then on the other side, as a natural consequence, there's the judgment side, there's the condemnation side. But it is people who put themselves on the condemnation side. Jesus came into the world to save. He didn't come into the world to judge and condemn people. He came to save them and then they condemned themselves by rejecting him and he as the righteous judge, as a just judge, He then says, yes, you have condemned yourself and he banishes them for eternity in hell. We cannot blame God for being some vengeful God who suddenly he just wants to destroy people all the time. No, we see here God's love and he's sending his son into the world to save the world, not to condemn the world. So they're the two possible reasons that are raised in the text and discarded by John that we aren't of the right nation, that's why we don't believe, or it's because God is some condemning God who's who's never interested in anyone coming to himself. No, we see that Jesus came into the world to save the world. So what is the real reason? Why don't people believe in Jesus Christ? Why don't they believe in this God who offers his son freely to them? Why don't they want to be part of this great love story? Well, John tells us, He says in verse 19 that people do not believe because they love the darkness. Verse 19, this is the verdict, light has come into the world but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Men don't believe in God because they love the darkness. John there uses an illustration of light and darkness to show why people don't believe and so Jesus is the light 
and men love the darkness instead. He comes into the world and the sinners love the darkness instead of the light of Jesus Christ. Men and sinners are like those uh, insects that when you lift up a, uh, a pot, they then scurry away from the light. I had this week in, uh, in the kitchen. A cockroach quickly ran across the floor. I disturbed it with the light and, uh, and so it scurried and I saw where it was heading for the bin and I knew it wouldn't go anywhere else because there was nowhere else to go. It'd go straight to the bin so that meant I could calmly go and get a shoe, come back and just take my time and then lift it up and quickly before I could scurry show it another dark side, the dark side of my shoe, a little bit more firmly than it would have liked. People are like those cockroaches. They scurry out of the light. Jesus is the light coming into the world and they love the darkness. They head straight for the darkness whenever they see the light. And why is this? Why do people like the darkness instead of the light? Well, verse 19 and 20 tell us. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Men hate the light because their deeds are evil. People don't like to be told that that what they're, they're doing is wrong, that their deeds are evil. People don't like those words vile and wrong and and evil. They don't like to be told that about themselves. My father uh, left the ministry and went back into uh, primary school teaching and he took a a fair bit of religious uh, uh, knowledge with him and ways of reacting to things. And one day he said to a a child at school, a little boy who was, uh, I can't remember what it was the child was doing, but he said to the child, what you're doing, your behaviour is vile. And, uh, and the child went home and asked his mother, what's vile? And, uh, and my father had a complaint against him from this parent and he's been instructed never to say the word vile to, in reference to what a child is doing. People don't like to be told that what they're doing is wrong and the word vile says it's even worse than wrong, it's kind of the worst kind of wrong. People don't like to be told that. They don't like to be told that their deeds are evil. And we see this even last week with the Mardi Gras that happened uh, last Saturday. Uh, the, the Sun Herald was reporting on the Mardi Gras and it said, Religious imagery was a popular theme with groups dressed as bishops, angels, nuns and popes. Members carried signs saying, Keep religion out of the bedroom. Keep religion out of the bedroom. They recognise that the light of religion, of Jesus Christ, affects their behaviour and shines on their behaviour and says, wrong, evil, your deeds are evil. And so they would rather say, you can have your religion, you can have your light, but just don't shine it where we are doing our behaviour. Don't shine it over here. We don't like the light, we like the darkness. We will close the bedroom door and we don't want people judging what we do behind it. People hate the light. That's what the text says. People hate the light. Verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light. They hate it because their deeds are considered evil. So people cannot blame God that they don't believe. The offer is there. God loves every nation. God came into the world to save the world. He would have been right in coming in to condemn the world because people have condemned themselves, but he came into the world to save the world. 
He wants people to come to him. He is patient and long-suffering God and desires people to come to him. But people don't come because their deeds are evil. Therefore, we cannot blame God. We can't blame God that we haven't believed or that people don't believe. It is up to them. The responsibility for belief is upon man. It is not upon God. The text here says over and over again that man is to believe. What does it say in verse 15? We didn't read verse 15, but it says that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 18, Whoever believes... People are required to believe. It is upon them the responsibility. And so the question is, do you love God or do you love the darkness instead? Do you love your evil deeds and don't want to give up those evil deeds? God so loved the world. He sent his son to die for sinful men. Are you going to scorn his love? because you like your deeds too much, you like your evil behaviour too much and you love the darkness? Are you going to hate him instead? That's what the text says. You hate the light if you do not love God. Are you going to do that? He gave his one and only son. Imagine that, giving up a child. He did that for you. Will you believe? Whoever believes, comes into that love story. Are you going to be like one of those insects and always run into the darkness? Or are you going to come into the light and believe and no longer scorn the light? If you haven't come into the light already, let me encourage you to do so. Do not love your evil deeds so much that you scorn the light, that you hate the light. Love the light. Come into the light. Repent and believe. Repent of those evil deeds and believe. It takes a lot of pride. Uh, to, in, you have to overcome a lot of pride in your heart because you have to admit that what you've done is wrong. When you repent, you admit that you've done what is wrong and your pride takes a big hit. But you have to if you're going to be saved and have eternal life. Eternal life is up for those who believe and part of believing comes with hating your evil deeds and hating the darkness instead. If you are a Christian, let me encourage you to continue coming into the light. What does it say in verse 21? But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. If you claim to live by the truth, if you claim to believe in Jesus Christ, then you come into the light You expose yourself to the light and you expose your deeds for what they are and you're happy to do so and you're happy to then see yourself doing good works by God's strength. That's what the verse 21 talks about. So that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. You start to be able to please God with your works. That's what you need to do if you're a Christian. Constantly expose yourself to the light. How do you expose yourself to the light? Read God's word. Jesus Christ is the light of the world and he is in there in the word and he shines his light upon you as you read the word. And as you meet with other Christians, they have Christ within them 
and they expose you to the light when you meet with them. So important to meet together with other believers. Meet together on Sunday with other Christians. Meet together in Bible study groups. Meet together just one-on-one. Meet with other Christians and you will be exposed to the light as Christ reveals himself in them. Constantly reveal yourself to the light. But don't simply reveal yourself to the light and scurry back into the darkness. We are still sinful as Christians and there's always the temptation when we see the light to then try and justify our behaviour and we want to scurry back into the darkness. We like doing those evil deeds. And so we may even shut certain sections of our life out from the light. Just as people want to close the bedroom door and say, keep your religion out of here. Religion doesn't belong in the bedroom. People, We as Christians can want to shut Jesus Christ and his light out of certain parts of our life. We want to shut him out of certain relationships. We kind of like hating that person, so we'll continue doing it. And we don't let Jesus' light shine upon that. We don't want to love that person. Or the television set, the movies we watch, the TV shows we watch. Keep Christ's light away from my TV. I don't want my evil deeds to be exposed, what I am watching to be exposed. Or our computer screens, what we download from the internet. We don't want Christ to be involved in that. We'll shut him out of that part of our life. We'll scurry back into the darkness of my computer screen. And we want to shut him out of the magazines and books that we might want to read. We don't want Christ's light there or even our bank balance. We quite like our bank balance to be kept to ourselves. We don't need Christ's light to be shining on that. We don't want him to be exposing some of our transactions as evil. We've got to let Christ's light shine upon every part of our lives. As Christians continue coming into the light, continue exposing yourself to the light and continue wanting to hate those evil deeds and to do instead good works for Jesus Christ. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you indeed for your love. You so love the world that you sent your one and only Son into it to die for those who believe in you. We pray that everyone here this morning believes in you believes in Jesus Christ as the only sacrifice for their sins. We pray that they may all hate the darkness and love you instead. We pray that we as Christians may want to expose our deeds for what they are, show us our sinful behaviours for what they are and may we see them as the way that you see them, as terrible parts of our lives that we should want to be rid of. Help us to expose your light to every part of our life. Help us not to be like people who scurry back into the darkness in fear that our evil deeds may be exposed. And give us strength, O Lord, to do good works, pleasing and wholesome in your eyes, so that we may get to that final judgment day and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.